This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome everybody. Happy New Year. 2022. A brand new start, a brand new year. And uh, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, God really started laying this message on my heart to share with you today. Uh, it's, a, it's a standalone message. We kick off a brand new series next week called Be Filled. So excited about it. And I, I think it's going to be super helpful for us, especially in kind of where we're living, the times and the climate of the world that we live in. But I, I believe this message today is needed. It is needed. And, and before we get started, I want to share with you just, tw- we, we've got coming up this next week, we, we start, we take a, a segment of the beginning of every year, and we, we call it 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. And what we do is we just set that aside and say, God, we're going to seek you, we're going to pray. We believe God deserves first, right? The first part of our day, first part of our, uh, when, we, when we experience increase, we, we, we tithe and we give. But we want to give the first part of the year to, to just seeking God. And so we kick that off Wednesday night at a first Wednesday service. I'd love to have you here for that. But, but I want you to think about tr- just praying and fasting with us. You know, a lot of times when we think about fasting, we only think about, like, I'm not going to eat for three months, right? Just something like crazy like that. But, but fasting, just simplified, when we fast, we intentionally say no to something so that we can say yes to God. Can I give you a few examples that we could do this year? Maybe you could do these. Do you need to fast social media? How many of y'all are like, no, like my life is not better because of social media? All right, as a matter of fact, I've probably gotten angry. I've probably gotten frustrated. I've, I've just been a little bit more annoyed than I needed to be because of social media. And maybe for 21 days, you, you set that aside, and every time you feel the urge to get out Instagram and Facebook, you just go, I'm going to pray. I'm not going to do that for 21 days. I'm going to, I'm going to say no to that so that I can say yes to God. But do you need to fast television? I said this in the first service. This is something I feel like the Lord has just been showing me. You get to the end of the day, and what, what do we want? We, we just, I just want some space. Y'all leave me alone. I'm going to veg out. I'm going to watch some of my Netflix. Me, just leave me alone, all right? And what do we want? We want relief, right? It's been a stressful day. It's been long. I feel tired. And instead of relief, a lot of times I believe what the heart of God wants for us is redemption. Like he wants to redeem something when we just want to be relieved of it. And, and I think that at times maybe we just need to fast television. Do you need to fast a meal to make room for a quiet time with God? I mean, I, it, it's not uncommon. We get to lunchtime and like, hey, what are we going to eat today? I don't know. Let's run out and go get something. We run out and go get it, come back, bring it back to the office, eat. And an hour's gone by. Maybe you'd say, hey, you know what? For 21 days, I'm going to fast lunch. And every day at lunch, I'm, I'm going to take that hour, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to read my Bible. Do, do you need to do a Daniel fast? Our staff does this every year. It, it's really reflective of, 
the decisions that Daniel made when, when the Israelites were taken to Babylon. And, and he just says, hey, you know, let me, let me take on this very restricted diet. And after a period of time, if we don't look better, I'll do whatever you tell. And he did it, and, and he was so much healthier, so much. And so we, we do that as a staff every year to reflect on that. And it's, it's really saying it's a, a lot of no's. You say no to these. Like, I'm on, I, if y'all come next Sunday, I'm going to have a caffeine headache. How many of y'all know that's going to Amen, right? I say yes to coffee every day. And so when I say no to something that I always say yes to, what you actually do is you see how in bondage you are to something that you always say yes to. And it's really helpful. So we're going to kick this off this week at First Wednesday. It's this downtown campus. It's, this, it's on the 5th. It starts at 7 p.m. And we're going to kick off the fast that night. So if, if, if you're fasting like, like sugar, I mean, you go eat all the Jolly Ranchers you want to before you show up. If you're going to fast on Facebook, you know, just, shut, just, just binge Facebook for an hour before then. But then we're going to shut it all down. And for, for a whole um, 21 days, we're actually going to give you some guided meditations and guided prayer times. So it's going to happen in our app. It's going to be about 10 or 15 minutes. All you, if you have our app, it's just going to, it's going to show up every day. And so starting on Thursday, you just maybe on your drive to work, you just pop that in and spend, uh, spend 10, 15 minutes with us just praying and listening to a scripture and being guided through a small prayer time. That starts this week. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about what God's going to do. I'm excited about kicking off really our vision series for the new year, Be Filled, which starts next week. It's a new year, right? And every year we get, we get around this time, and, and it's a time to make resolutions. How many of y'all have made resolutions? How many of you? Anyway, just raise your hands. Don't be shy. Like one person, two people, okay? The rest of y'all are like, I did. I was going to eat healthier, but then I've already decided I needed to wait until Monday, right? <laughs> You know, as, as I was reading some data about um, New Year's resolutions, and as, as you think about your 2022 resolutions, here's what people this past year focused on. Uh, 44% of people made resolutions that had to do with their health. This is, I'm going to get in the gym. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm, I'm going to get healthy, right? 29% of people made resolutions that focused on their relationship with God, which means only about a quarter of the people that were, were interviewed and, and it said, hey, you know, I decided I was going to read my Bible. I was going to pray. And we, we know th- those, are, those are commitments that can not just alter a year but can alter your eternity. 29% focused on their finances. This is good. We're going to live by a budget. We're going to get out of debt. Uh, and then 26% focused on improving their, their family relationships. We do that around this time of year. We make goals, and we, we get our word for the year, and we do all that kind of stuff. But do we stick with it? Do we stick? We make the resolutions, but do we stick with them? You know that after one week, only 75% of people are still sticking with their resolutions. That's y'all that didn't raise your hand. Y'all, y'all on Friday night or Saturday night, y'all were like, I'm going to eat better. I'm, y'all already like, no, not, not doing it. I'm done. I'm done. It's 75%. After one month, only 64% are following through with that. Next slide. And then 45, after six months, 45% are still successful. At the end of the year, this is data that was accumulated over the last year. At the end of the year, only 9% of people who make a New Year's resolutions evaluate themselves. This is themselves. They say, I was successful in keeping that. You know, 
there's so much about resolutions that deals with the tension of better. And, and if you paid attention last year, we, we talked about that, better. We, we, we even had bracelets that were, were printed up. Most of our New Year's resolutions focus on better, don't they? Next slide. But the invitation of the gospel is better than that. It is. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing that I'd write down. The, the gospel of Jesus doesn't just make us better. It makes us new. It makes us new. This is the promise of Scripture when it comes to the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. The gospel makes us new. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this ideology is summed up very succinctly in what the Apostle Paul says in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Jesus being asked by by Nicodemus in John 3, what, what, what must I do to get this life that you're talking about? Well, you must be born again. There is a new life. This is what the gospel of Jesus, and I, I think that there's a time to focus on better. There's a time. It, it has its place. All right, that, there's a time to say, I, I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better husband. I, I want to learn how to be a better parent. But here's, this is so important. Better is not the end game of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't promise to make you a better version of the person that you are today. That's not the promise in the declaration of the gospel. And I believe that because there are times that we intentionally focus on saying, hey, how can I practically learn from the Bible to how to be a better husband, how to do money better, how to, how to do relationships better, that we can get to a place where we believe that the end game of the gospel is just to make us better. It's not. And God's not just trying to upgrade you. That's not the, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is his, <laughs> his desires to make you new. And I believe that when we think that, it, that the, the goal is to get better, that it can leave us believing that, that brokenness is the goal. That at the end, I'm, I'm still going to be a broken mess. I'm just going to be a better broken mess than I am right now. I might, I might still struggle with that, but I'm going to struggle with it a little bit less. I, I might still be somebody who's, a, but I'm not, but I won't do it as bad as I'm doing it right now. I want you to hear this because this is so important. Brokenness is not the desired end of the gospel. It's not. The desired end of the gospel is you in a new life that was created through Jesus Christ uniquely for you. God making you new. Now, I, I want you to hear this too. God will use our brokenness. He will, he will use the broken things that we go through. He's just not going to leave you to it. God is never, ever going to reject you because you're broken and you're messy. I want you to hear that. God, you're not going to come to God and God go, you know what? You don't have it all together. Get away from me. That's not how God operates. God operates in such a way that he invites us to be messed. Bring it to me. Bring your mess. Bring your brokenness. He's not going to leave you to it, though. Psalm 51, verse 17 says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. And I love this second part. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. You're not going to dislike me or hate me or push me away because I have 
brokenness. Instead, you're going to invite me closer. So maybe this year, maybe this year, maybe in the past you've tried better. Maybe this year we don't need better. We need new. We don't need, I don't need an upgrade. I don't need an upgrade on the same broken thing that I've been trying for the last decade. I don't need an upgrade on the same way of thinking that has not produced health in my life. I don't need better. I need new. So can I spend a moment talking about how we knew? Let me get a drink of coffee. You know, the thing about new is new is always going to involve change, isn't it? If you said today, hey, we need to get a new couch. We, that couch, that is, it's smelly. Did you see what the dog did on that couch? We don't need this couch in our living room anymore. We need to get rid of it. If you're going to get a new couch, it requires you to get rid of the old couch and to bring in something that is new. New is always going to involve change. And here's the thing. Our relationship with change has a direct impact on how we navigate what's new in our lives. Because new is always going to require some change. So I, I want you to hear that some of you have said, in the next year, my marriage is going to be different. In the next year, my heart is going to be different. In the next year, things are going to change. But nothing changes if nothing changes. Some of y'all said, we're going to, we're going to, this next year, we are taking back our marriage. But you aren't willing to do anything different. If you're not going to change the way you do marriage, you are not going to take back your marriage. Some of y'all think, well, you know, I really need to get our finances in order. But if you're not willing to change the way you do finances, nothing's going to change. And some of us, when it comes to change, we are and just internally and instinctively, we resist change. We, we just push back. Things start changing. I don't want that to change. No, uh-uh. But, but I want you to hear what I'm about to say because this is so important. If, if you know that that's the posture of your heart, you know that's where you go to, that you, when things start to change, that there's a little check inside of you and you just instinctively push back on it. It can be a thousand reasons why we're that way. I want you to know that you're also probably resisting God you know why because we must be willing to embrace change if we're ever going to be obedient obedience implies change it implies me doing something that's different that's not my direction and if I'm ever going to be obedient to God I'm going to have to embrace change especially the change that he initiates. In Isaiah 43, verse 19, we see that God is a God of new and of change, where he says, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, see, I'm doing a new thing, a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Some of us right now, we feel like we're in the wasteland, in the wilderness, and we need God to make a way. We need God to bubble up some streams because you feel dry on the inside. But <coughs> here's the thing. That ain't going to happen if you don't embrace what he's doing that's new. It's the new that leads to all of that. And in the end, we, we need a healthy 
relationship would change. Many of us don't have that. We don't have a healthy relationship with change. Some of us resist change. Some of us, we we just, you know, we start seeing God do something. We're like, change everything. Change my hair. Change the carpet. Change the car. Change the job. And here's, if, if that's you, please hear this. Everything doesn't have to change for things to change. While some of us are on one side, we resist change. And we push back on it. I don't, don't, I don't want that. Some of us are on the opposite side. And when, when, when we start sensing that something needs, we just change everything. You know, there's a metaphor that the Bible uses to talk about us as believers. And it's important for you to see it. It, it literally emerges all throughout Scripture. We're going to see it a little bit later in, in a story that most people wouldn't pick up on. But in Colossians 2, it's real, it's real apparent. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as your Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Well, what does that mean, rooted and built up? It's the analogy, the metaphor of a tree. And, and throughout Scripture, God uses this metaphor, this metaphor of rooting and growing to, to describe what it's like to be a follower of God. And here's the thing, that a lot of times we, we get into that moment, and if you're the person that's like, I just wholesale to change, you're like, I'm just pulling up all the roots, I don't care, I'm just pulling, and we're moving. And here's the thing, you can't pull up all the roots and stay healthy. That's just practical. As a matter of fact, if you're looking at a tree, you can't pull up all the roots and stay alive. There's something that has to change, but not everything has to change. It's easy to see the way that that works through the seasons. I love the word season, especially as it describes the changes in our lives. You know, for for many of us, we, we understand seasons and I love that with seasons, the good thing about seasons is I know that it started, but it's going to end. This season that I'm in right now, it might be a good one, it might be a challenging one, but there's a definitive end to that season. And we see that in nature. Think about this when it comes to trees. Can I, can I just share this with you? Trees. And we love, let's start in the fall. We love the fall, don't we? we? We look around and ride around and all the everything that was green turns all different shades of color. It's now yellow and, and orange and, and purple and red. And you know what? Those trees were always that color. The same tree that looks red in the fall was red in the spring. Their, their leaves were red, but you can't see its color. Because there's something in the tree that is causing the tree to grow. It's in a season of growth. And when that goes away, in a, in a small way, the tree is, is suffering a, a death. Not its final death, but a death of a season. And here's what's so interesting to me about every fall. Is we revel in the beauty of its death. That the most beautiful season for a tree is when it's actually going through a small death. The closing of a season. Some of us have been there before. If you have kids, 
There's going to be a day that you drop them off to college. There's going to be a day that you, you might walk that little girl down the aisle and, and hand that, that off and, 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 and see. And, and, it's, and it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful moment. But it is a definitive close to a season. And in that, parents, you know that you feel a little bit like something has died. And there's a beauty in that. There's a beauty in it. And then we know that after the fall comes the winter. And if you're from around here, we know that means that the, the leaves have now fallen to the ground. And I've got to spend about two months raking them up. And that's not fun at all. But if you look at a tree during the winter, not an evergreen, not like a pine tree, but you just look at a tree, it looks dead. It looks dead. There's nothing around. The environment is not conducive for it to grow. And I, I want you to understand this because this is so important. There are seasons of life that you'll go through, and the whole goal is can I make it to the end of this season? Can I survive? Can I, can I make it to the other side? Can I hold on? And what, what's happening in that is there's something that's beautiful that you cannot see. Because while there is no growth that you can't see, there is growth that is happening underground. The root system is becoming stronger and more well-developed during the winter. You might be in here today and think, you know what? It feels a lot like winter in my life right now. I don't feel like I'm growing. Nothing feels like it's changing. And you want to know what? It's an invitation to sink your roots deeper into Jesus. To become stronger. So that when new growth comes, your integrity can sustain it. Because there's inevitably a spring coming. We love spring, don't we? That's the favorite time of year. All that was dead comes back to life. It's a, a, a kind of a nature's declaration of the resurrection. And, and we watch it happen. All the trees begin to bud green, and that which was stark and dead becomes alive, and it looks like there's little micro-explosions of green all around. In life, there's times of spring where we feel like all the prayers that we've been praying for a long time, we start to see them come true. We start to see God bring fruitfulness to it. Some of you are living in the spring right now. You feel, you're watching God do things that you've always dreamed he would. You've prayed for the things that are going on in your life right now. But here's the thing. It won't stay spring forever. As a matter of fact, just like it does around here, the weather's going to shift a little bit. The climate's going to shift. And in summer... That which God began in spring, you have to figure out a way to keep it growing and sustain it and make that which was just a moment, just a few weeks, how do I continue to grow? How do I, when it's hot, when it's dry, when it's difficult, how do I continue to find a way to stay in that which God began? There are seasons. And as I was studying that, I realized this. This is so important for some of us to see today. Number three, when it comes to new, you can't make it new, but new won't happen without you. You can't make it new. In your life, you do not have the power or the authority to change the season of your life. But the new of a new season won't happen without you. Think about with me seasons. 
Look at this. There are guiding forces that are outside. There are outside guiding forces for each season, but there's work to be done in each season. The climate changes. It begins to get colder. The trees don't produce the chlorophyll. You see the colors. <coughs> and then it's cold. All of that that's going on all around. Think about it with me. There, there's outside. And in the same way in our lives, God is at work around us. God is control. But, but there's work for us to do in every season as well. There's work for you to do. Some of y'all feel like you've been in winter for two seasons. Like, God, this is twice as long as winter should last in somebody's life. Why is it not? Why are my prayers not being answered? Why are things not changing? And your loving God is saying, I'm not bringing you out of that until you learn the lesson that I brought you into it for. There's work to be done. There's work to be done. God's got a purpose for every season of our life. And when that purpose is achieved and God opens the door to the next season, what he does is he opens the door and invites us in, but we still got to get up and walk. Right? It's all about obedience. So if you're really praying and longing for a new season in life, hear what I'm about to say. Obedience leads to the right new. Obedience leads to the right new. There are all kinds of new that you can have this next year. Everything that God desires to create in your life, Satan wants to counterfeit. So for all the dreams that God has for you, for everything that God has purchased for you, you have an enemy that wants to sell you a counterfeit of it. And it's obedience to the voice of God that leads us not into just a new, but into the right new. Jesus said in, in John 14, 15, these are his words, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is a very difficult and challenging verse for us culturally because we buy into this, well, I love Jesus, but I do this. And what we're saying is I have affection for Jesus, but I kind of decide for my own self how I'm going to do life. And the Bible is saying right here from the words of Jesus that that's not how it works. If you love God, you follow his directions in life. And we think about it because of our mindset. We think about it in terms of control. Well, God wants to control my life. He wants me to give up control. He wants me to relent from trying to control things. He wants I want to give it over to God. But for Jesus, please hear me. This is not about control. This is not about him having some kind of authoritarian stance over your life. This is about him loving you. He wants to love you, and if you won't let God lead you, you're not letting him love you. It's really easy to blame God. It's really hard for us to stand up and make the decision to say, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to follow you. It doesn't, it's not easy. It's not convenient. But God, I'm, I'm not going to blame you anymore for my problems. I'm, I'm going I'm to own it. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to repent for the places that I've failed. So can we go back to, to brokenness? We talked about this earlier. And I said that 
brokenness is not the desired end of the gospel. But I want you to hear what I'm going to say here. Brokenness is a part of the process that leads to new. It's a part of the process. There's a story in in the Old Testament. It's it's a prophet. If you don't know much about the Old Testament, God used these these men and women as as prophets. And and he would speak to them, and then they would speak to a large group of people on his behalf. And one of those was a guy by the name of Jeremiah. It's a very big book in the Old Testament that that was written by him. And and it's so interesting. A lot of scholars call Jeremiah the weeping prophet because God, God would speak to him and give him really harsh things to say. I mean, they were, they were tough, and he loved his, the people he served so much that when he would go to say what God had spoke to his heart, he would cry. He would just mourn as he said those. And in Jeremiah chapter 18, and this is such, and I'm not going to get this, through this without crying because so, this is such a precious story to me. God speaks to Jeremiah, and he begins by saying, go down to the potter's house, and there... I will give you my message. I want you to go. I want you to go down. Go, I want you to go in town today. And go find the potter, and then I want you to go watch him. And while you watch him, Jeremiah, I'm going to speak to you. So the next two verses say this. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred. It, it was broken in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot shaping it as best, or as seemed best to him. Now just let me explain what's happening. He goes in to watch the potter work, and the potter's shaping a piece of clay. And as he begins to shape the clay into a pot, Jeremiah notices that what he's making is broken. It is not right. There's something wrong with the pot. And as he begins to shape the pot, he begins to notice that this is... And so he he decides, you know what? We're going to go. He takes the pot. He breaks it back down. And then he begins working. And there's a detail in there as he begins to make it into another pot. Jeremiah says he shaped it according to what seemed best to him. I want you to understand, Just this is just where my heart is this year. I want to be able to say to God, God, I want you to take my will and my direction and my desires out of what I'm doing in life. I want my life to be shaped in a way that pleases is you, whatever seems best to you, God, do it in my life. Then the word of the Lord came to him. The next verse. Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hands, Israel. God's saying, listen. I can do the same thing that you're watching that potter do. You might feel like a broken, messed up old pot that that is no good right now, but in my hands, I'm the master potter. I can craft you into something that is new, that's better than you ever imagined. Just make it personal for a moment. Look at this. Like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hand. Just put your name in there. So are you in my hand, Kevin. You know, sometimes God needs to break something down before he can build it back up again. That's what pride will cause in your life. 
you get real prideful and you start telling God how things are supposed to be and you start telling God how your life is supposed to be run, you want to know what? God's going to have to come against that. The Bible says that we can humble ourselves or be what happens if we don't. Be humiliated. You know the word humiliated? You know what it means? It means to be made humble. God's not going to let you. If you make a decision, I'm going to give you my life. God's not going to let you stay prideful. Humility is what comes before the throne of God and says, God, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. How you tell me to do it, when you tell me to do it, this is not my life. I want to live my life in a pleasing way to you. Now, I love that story, but what's so interesting to me is what God says through Jeremiah right after that. Because God says to Jeremiah in the next two verses, he says, Jeremiah, what if I announce that a kingdom needs to be uprooted? Think about what we talked about. The metaphor of growing roots. God's saying, what, what if there's a group of men and women? What if there's a life? And I say to that life, I'm going to uproot you. You're not living the way that I called you to live. You're not doing what I've asked you to do. I'm going to take you out. He says to Jeremiah, what if, what if that person repents? Would you get mad at me? Would you get mad if I relent in the destruction that we promised? It's literally a, kind of the imagery of what happens in Jonah, where God declares the destruction of Nineveh, but then the people of Nineveh repent, and God relents from that destruction. It's our lives, Right? When many of us have lived not according to the way that God has promised. And then, and then we, we, we get on our face and we repent. And God, God no, I'm, I'm, I want to love you. This is all about your heart. In the next two verses, he says, well, Jeremiah, what if I told you that I have the desire to plant a kingdom? What if I told you that I had a desire to do something in the hearts of a group of people or in the hearts of somebody else and they refuse to obey? Would you get mad if I reconsider my offer? Why? What's God speaking to? He's speaking to in that moment. This is all about obedience. Obedience is what puts our lives into his hands as the master potter. It's trusting Him, leaning into Him, putting it all into Him. It's trusting that, that Jesus Christ knows the best way for you to live, that your opinion is secondary to His command. Our hope for new rests solely in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear this. You might have come in here broken today. You might feel like I, all I've got is a broken heart. My life is broken. I want you to hear this. If you're willing to trust God with your brokenness, that brokenness will only be a season. If you're willing to give your life to Him and say, God, I'm, I'm, I want to I follow you. I want my life to reflect yours. I'm, I'm tired of doing this on my own. It's just a season of life. You might have came in here today an addict, but I want you to hear, just hear me. If you're willing to say, God, I trust you with my life. 
I'm giving it over to you. If you're willing to go through the hard work of recovery, if you're willing to go through all that needs to happen in your heart to to be healed and to recover from what you've done, I want you to hear this. There's coming a day that you will no longer be an addict. You'll be new. You might have come in with a broken relationship with your spouse or with your kids. I, I want you to hear me. If you're willing to say, Jesus... This is tearing me apart. If you're willing to trust Him, there's a day that's coming when that will no longer be the defining factor of your life. You might have come in broke because you bought too many presents for everybody this Christmas. If you're willing to say, God, I'm going to do finances your way. I want you to be the Lord over my finances. There'll come a day that that won't be the story anymore. You, you might came in today just sad and depressed, but I want you to hear this. This is so important. The promise of the gospel is not simply a better life. And it's far too often that we've relegated it to that. It's just the promise of a better life. That's not the declaration of the gospel is a new life with Jesus Christ. This is the invitation. This is what God, and this is our hope. This is our hope for now. It's our hope for the future. You know, that the, the cool thing about being a believer is we get to read the end of the story before it happens. The, the book of Revelation is, is these visions that God gave to the Apostle John that show just windows and glimpses into what will happen in the future. It's very, it's very cryptic. It's, it's hard to, at times to understand. But Jesus promises two things at the end of John's visions that I want to highlight today. And the first one is the last thing that Jesus says in the Bible. It's in Revelation 22, verse 20. He who is the faithful witness to all these things says, Yes, I'm coming soon. And then John replies, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. How many of y'all in the last couple years have been like, Could you just come on? I'm over this, right? It's a good promise. It's a good promise to know that this is not the end, that one day our living Savior will return. But in the chapter before this, and this is the verse that I read that sparked the the idea to do this service for you guys. In the chapter before, Revelation 21, Jesus is on the throne, and he says this. The one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything I'm making everything new. Please hear me. If you've carried hurt for a decade, you don't have to always carry it. If you've carried insecurity and self-doubt, that doesn't have to be the story for the rest of your life. If you came in here an addict, you don't have to stay an addict. If you came in here and your marriage is suffering and you're broke, I want you to hear that that can only be a season, that there is something new. Our hope isn't in better. Our hope is in the new that only Jesus can promise. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, We encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.